This show is sponsored by Headnote, helping law firms get paid 70% faster with their compliant e-payments and accounts receivables automation platform. Learn how to get paid quicker and more efficiently at headnote.com. Welcome to the Modern Law Library. I'm your host, Lee Rawls, and today we're bringing you something a little bit different. Our normal format is me talking to the author of a book about the book that they wrote and about their own lives. But the holidays are coming. We're all going to be traveling. There are things we are going to need to do, as in, you know, long car rides, plane rides, train rides, automobiles, the whole nine yards. And uh, it's great to have a book along. But if you are looking for some new recommendations, I thought one thing that could be interesting is to hear what people around the ABA Journal and ABA Publishing offices have been reading. Uh, And for my first guest, I'm bringing on Sarah Wadford, who's one of our graphic designers. And she was also part of our selection committee this year for the Harper Lee Prize. Uh, The Harper Lee Prize was won by the book The Boat People by Sharon Bala, but that certainly was not the only book we considered. So Sarah, welcome to the program. Thanks. And uh, how long have you worked for the ABA? Uh, Two years. Mm -hmm. And Almost we'll, to the date. Also, oh well, yeah. congratulations! Uh, we'll need to we'll need to get you a, some sort of celebratory cookie. <laughs> uh, so this was the first year you'd participated. Could you talk a little bit about what that experience was like? Oh, it was fun. We basically divvied up all the books that were sent in, and then just read like maniacs through all of them and figured out which ones spoke to us in relation to how it is representative with the law and the criteria of the contest, basically. Mm-hmm. So um, I ended up with one that was a juvenile fiction book, and that gave me a very interesting twist as far as reading a bunch of law books about sabotage and, you know, whodunits. And legal and then thrillers. Legal thrillers. And then I got this great little gem in the middle that was young adult fiction, and it was just great. And one of the reasons you sort of put your hand up for that one is you have a daughter. I do. She's only eight, so it might be a little bit older than her, but I hung on to my copy so that in a year or two she'll read it. So it's more of a middle grade book, you think? Yes. It would be perfect for sixth grade to, you know, basically a good junior high, maybe pushing it on freshmen unless they're really behind in how the law works. Mm-hmm. And so this is a novel for middle grade readers. So if any of our listeners have someone in their life, whether it's their own child or a family friend's child, anything like this, could you give us a little bit of background about the book? So it's called Clash Action, but yeah. what's it about? It's Class Action by Stephen B. Frank. It is a book about a sixth grader who got fed up with his homework, had a little protest in class, stood on his desk and ended up suspended. And then as he was stuck home, he's decided to help paint the older guy across the street's fence and told him the story of how he was suspended. And the older gentleman encouraged him to, you know, fight it through the court system. So he basically rounded up all of his friends and with the older guy across the street, guided them to bring the case all the way through the court system up to the Supreme Court. And The great part about this book is, although it's kind of unlikely fiction that homework itself would be brought to the Supreme Court, it really explained how 
it will go through the whole process and end up in the Supreme Court. So it's a way to take kids through. This is the actual process that a case has to go through to actually make it to the Supreme Court. So you're sneakily teaching them a civics lesson. You totally are. And then they have no idea because it's like all wrapped up in a kind of not cheesy, but warm and fuzzy feeling book. And it's great to see all the kids, all the characters in the book working together and pushing forward and working with the older guy across the street. So you've got that feeling of youth and adults together working to do common good. So it was a really a great story that taught a reader something. Yeah, you were the first one in our, our committee to read the book. And, and after you were like, guys, I know this is a little bit, you know, we thought this may be a little bit of a joke. Oh, ha ha, middle grade book. But no, read it. It actually does teach the public about how the law works and the importance of lawyers. And so I read it and I was unsurprised to later find out that the author is himself a teacher because I think that he he had a good – they did not feel like fake children. No, they didn't. And um, there was a cute thing in the book too where he listed all of his students' names that he's ever had. And it's just like pages upon pages of how he called it breaking and entering into their homes because of giving them assignments and homework. Yeah, that was that was one of the items of contention about how yeah. dare you give us homework. This yeah. is breaking and entering our free time. So um, that was something that essentially you did as part of part of our work together. Mm-hmm. But did you have time this year to do any more free reading that you that you had a book that you enjoyed? Oh yeah, I read quite a bit. And um, another one that I really stuck out for me was the Paris Wife by Paula McLean. Mm-hmm. I know it's. Probably not a new book, but it walks you through the relationship of Ernest Hemingway and his first wife, Hadley. And um, everyone knows Hemingway was not quite the best husband, let's say. I don't think I would have wanted to date him, no. No. And um, it just, it captured their relationship, all the ups and downs, the little insight into the famous Paris writing groups with Gertrude Stein and Fitzgerald, and it was just one little bit removed. So it really felt like it was his wife writing this story. Like I felt as though Hadley herself had written it. I often forgot that it was another author who obviously did a tremendous amount of research to put this book together. And it was a great read. It was hard to put down very easy to get into. And um, I mean, it wasn't a romance where they, I mean, they did fall in love, but it was very difficult. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a tough read, but it was a good read. So that was The Paris Wife by, who's the author again? Paula McLean. The Paris Wife by Paula McLean. So periodically through this episode, I will talk about some of the books that I liked this year. I would say this year was a tough one uh, just to find time to do a lot of pleasure reading. Uh, and I did an awful lot of listening to audiobooks on my commute in uh, to the ABA offices in Chicago. But one book that I definitely think anyone who's interested in the troubles in Northern Ireland, which have been talked about more because Brexit is really raising some issues that everyone thought had been put to bed with the Good Friday Agreement, This book is called Say Nothing, A True Story of Murder and Memory in Northern Ireland by Patrick Radden Keefe. And it really was tremendous. It it told the story of a radicalized young woman 
and her sister who were part of Republican terrorism and were responsible for the death of a woman who was suspected to be helping the British police. Um, She was the mother of many children. She disappeared. Her children were left without the knowledge of is my mother alive or not. And as you see what happens to that family who's been left behind, you're also finding out what was going on in these paramilitary groups. And, you know, in Ireland, there are often tragedies upon tragedies, uh, but it's it's told in a really compelling way. So that's Say Nothing by Patrick Radden Keefe. And thank you to Sarah Wadford. We are now going to welcome our next guest. Thanks for having me. Now, my next guest, Ashley Alvervik, is going to be a familiar voice to a lot of you longtime listeners. Ashley, welcome. Could you uh, say a little bit about who you are? Yeah, thanks for having me. I work for ABA Publishing. I help with the book marketing. Um, and I did host a couple episodes of Modern Law Library, which was a ton of fun and I really enjoyed. So I'm glad to be back on the air. Fantastic. So you get to read a lot of the books that the ABA puts out. Does it leave you much time for free reading? Um, You know, I, I have a nice work-life balance in terms of my reading life, I would say, because it's very easy to separate kind of our uh, substantive law books from what I read for fun, which isn't always the case in publishing. So I do really appreciate that, you know, Our workbooks are fun, but I also have a very different reading life outside of work. So it's a good amount of reading, but um, definitely all genres. Mm -hmm. So So let's let's first talk about a book that you read sort of in the course of work Mm -hmm. or that was prompted by something that came up at work that you think that our listeners would enjoy. Yeah. So um, we actually did a earlier podcast with Mark Herman, who wrote The Curmudgeon's Guide to Practicing Law. And it's a very small little book, but it's just really fun and a guide to, you know, what the early associate should expect when they're starting to practice in big law. But Mark's just really funny and the book's a little snarky and it's a really fast read. Um, So definitely probably a good gift for a new lawyer in your life. But I personally enjoyed it as a non-lawyer. I just thought it was really fun and kind of good for any new working professional. I just thought some of the tips, at one point he says, you know, you're not a potted plant, contribute and, you know, um, give feedback and be a part of your office. And I was like, that's kind of a fun phrase. You're not a potted plant. So Yeah, well, I actually, I had read at least parts of of Curmudgeon's Mm -hmm. Guide. And a good thing about that book, I thought, Mm -hmm. I don't know if every family was like this, but we certainly always had reading material that lived in the bathroom that you, you know, Dave mm-hmm. Barry or something. And it actually, I think that would be a decent one because you can, mm-hmm. you know, you can get a five minute read and uh, it's it's entertaining. Exactly. Yeah. No, it that I didn't think of it like that, but it would be a great like bathroom reading book <laughs> where it's kind of funny and a little jokey and snarky. So mm-hmm. definitely something to keep on the side there. And it let's go to personal life. Mm-hmm. So uh, as you're as you're commuting in to our downtown yeah. Chicago offices, uh, what were you reading? Yeah. Um, so I guess kind of doing a total switch from law, but still a legal writer. Um, I really enjoyed Jasmine Gilroy's romances, another person you interviewed for the Modern Law Library. But her, I read her two most recent books this year, uh, The Proposal and The Wedding Party. And They're fun, but they make you think, and I just, you know, they're really 
provocative but still really feel-good romances at the end of the day. So I've really been enjoying those. And I really want to read her latest, which is Royal Holiday, to get some of those like Hallmark, cheesy Christmas vibes. So I'm really excited to hopefully try to get that and read it before the holidays here. I actually saw that book in a bookstore just this weekend. Oh, so really? I did. So if you're looking for a Hallmark movie type experience, you think that would be the kind of of book to to go to. Yeah. Although I think it'll probably give you, I'm assuming just based on our other books, probably a little more meat. It's probably got some other topics that it digs into. And I know the protagonist is a little older, which is fun. So I think it's going to have a fun kind of hallmarky vibe, but maybe not quite as cheesy. So we'll see. Well, that is a great recommendation. So, Ashley, any others that uh, people should be putting on their year-end or holiday travel lists? So many options. Um, I've read a lot of Tanya French lately. She's an Irish author, um, but her mysteries are great and really riveting. And they can all be read out of order, which is what I'm doing and isn't quite – I'm probably not getting as much out of the books reading them out of order, but you definitely don't get anything spoiled, which I appreciate. So. Oh, that is that is always helpful. Yeah. Well, Ashley, thanks for coming on our holiday episode of the Modern Law Library. We are going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. And when we return, two more people are going to give you their book recommendations. Hey, law firms. Getting paid is fantastic, but dealing with accounts receivable is such a pain. What if there was a better way? In her head note, an industry-leading compliant e-payments and AR automation system Their unique blend of features cuts through the noise and helps you to get paid 70% faster. Skip the paper checks, spreadsheets, and awkward calls to overdue clients. Get paid faster with less effort. Visit headnote.com for more information. Welcome back to the Modern Law Library. I'm going to kick this off by recommending another book that I read this year that I enjoyed and think other people might as well. I manage people as part of my role here at the ABA Journal, and I think that all of us could always use some help in that department, whether we work for a firm or, you know, maybe your general counsel or maybe you're a law professor. It's always good to check in with your own people skills. So a book that I read and enjoyed and hopefully got something out of was Work Happy, What Great Bosses Know by Jill Geisler. That one was a was a really good read for me. And they have little quizzes that you can put yourself through and, and little personality tests and talk about what can work best with your style of management and making sure that the people in your life and at work are feeling happy and not dreading coming into work. All right. My next guest comes to work with me uh, every day. Shirley, could you please introduce yourself and talk about what you do at the ABA Journal? Hi, my name is Shirley Henderson. I do work here with Lee at the ABA Journal. I'm a copy editor, and I work with the writers and other editors like Lee and making sure that the stories that we publish are perfect and factual and um, that they satisfy the interest of our ABA Journal audience. Shirley keeps us from embarrassing ourselves many, many times. She said, are you sure about this fact? Let's look that up. Let's just make sure. So so you have to read an awful lot in your Mm day-to-day work, but what do you read outside of work? What what helps you kind of relax? Um, I love science fiction and horror 
believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I grew up and loving horror movies and horror fiction. And one of the things that um, one of the authors that I first fell in love with was Stephen King. And my sister, uh, who I shared a bedroom with as a child, was a bookworm. Sorry for that terminology, but <laughs> she was. And she would get all the Stephen King's books and she would she would place them down. And I was in grade school and I would be reading The Shining in grade school and um, just fell in love with him and, and have been a St- Stephen King fan ever since. Uh, I once read The Stand when I was alone up at a lake house. One of my favorites. It was a, a tremendous book, but don't read it when you're you know, 16 and, and alone mm-hmm. uh, for the for the night. No, uh, no, no, wasn't wasn't a good choice there. But what has uh, been one of his recent ones that you'd really recommend people picking up if they were in the mood for something maybe not so sweet, maybe a little more naughty than nice? I, I love crime fiction and crime stories. So the latest one that I read was a crime story, or it started off that way. It's called The Outsider. And it takes place not in Maine, which is where, you know, Stephen King normally places his his works, um, but in Flint City, Oklahoma. Um, It's about a little league coach who is one of the town's heroes who is actually accused of murdering a child. So... um, it take, so that's a scenario, and it starts off with this murder mystery, and it kind of escalates into this supernatural classic Stephen King novel that we know. Okay, well, we won't ruin anything or spoil anything for anyone who wants to pick up The Outsider and get shivers for more than just the cold outside. <laughs> but uh, for those people who are listening who, you know what, they've read enough. You're a horror fan. What would be a good... Is there are there Christmas themed horror movies? Is there anything that you would say? Let's uh, let's flip this on after we've cleared the dishes. I think most of the Christmas themed horror movies that I've seen are just kind of mean spirited, <laughs> <laughs> like Santa Claus with an axe and that type of thing. No, you don't want that. Uh, no, but I I mean if you're just looking for a, a horror movie that you can enjoy, I think there's you know some good horror movies out there. Us. I thought was a very scary movie. I'm waiting for someone to watch it with me because I can't watch that alone. Mm -hmm. That's going to scare me. That was a great scary movie. Um, uh, The Shining still terrifies me uh, personally. I know Stephen King didn't like it. Sorry, Stephen King. But I I think it's terrifying. But, you know, there are some out there for for those people who want to scare around Christmas. Well, Shirley, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, Up next is going to be our... Next guest, Brennan Sharp. So, Brennan, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Modern Law Library, where we're going through some holiday recommendations or just some stories about books you read this year. So can you start us off by telling us a little bit about what you do for the ABA and the ABA Journal? Sure. Uh, my name is Brennan Sharp, and I'm the design director of the ABA Journal. And uh, my daily routine is to design the, the best-looking uh, printed product that uh, we can put out each each month or each issue. And again, some of our listeners may recognize your voice. You recorded your very first podcast episode of the Modern Law Library. Uh, so if people want to go back and listen to that previous episode, who were you talking to? 
I was talking to Julian Rankin, who's the uh, first-time author, but he also photographed for us on a handful of occasions. He happens to be my cousin. We needed somebody in the Mississippi Delta very quickly to photograph something, and I knew that he was there doing research for his book. It wasn't a cover shoot, so we figured a little nepotism wouldn't hurt. <laughs> and uh, well, it turned out great. We, yeah. Didn't we win a prize for that? I believe so. Yeah, we yeah. did for that particular story. It was more journalistic than for design, but uh, regardless, it was uh, really handy to have his photography there. So you spoke to him about his book, and uh, you. But you've read other books too. So, so what have you brought here today to talk to people about what they should bring with them on the airplane if they're traveling to visit family? Yeah, well, one that I, I would want to talk about first, uh, I have to thank our outgoing editor and publisher, Molly McDonough. She put this on my desk not one week after I was talking with my family about getting a copy, uh, but it's Songs of America by John Meacham and Tim McGraw. Oh, that sounds fascinating. So those uh, automatically, I think, oh, country music. So I know their names, but what specifically were they talking about in Songs of America? Are they talking, is it like a history? Is it more about their lives as uh, singer-songwriters? Um, yeah, well, John Meacham is actually an author and a commentator for CNN. And, oh, uh, okay, because I thought Tim McGraw, I, I definitely knew, but John Meacham is is a journalist. Yes, yes, and and a historian. And uh, so this is a, an historical timeline of music in America from uh, before the revolution uh, to present day. So this is not just country music. This is Songs of America, Songs of America. Yes, absolutely. In fact, country doesn't really make uh, an entry until much later in the account. Mm -hmm. um, but what I like about this book is uh, I'm a native Nashvilleian who's been here in Chicago for nine years. But uh, Shivering. Yes. <laughs> but uh, one thing that I've come to enjoy about uh, my time there in Nashville is the people you meet that, that live within your in your backyard, in your vicinity, or next door in some cases. Uh, so I thought I'd run down a list of people that were my next-door neighbors, and then I'll tell you about how this book came about. Uh, when I lived there, Dolly Parton's sister, Stella, was in my building. And then um, I remember there was a plot of land that was for sale right next to my condo, and I thought, you know, that would be a good plot to buy and put a house. And before I could inquire about it, Dirks Bentley, the country music artist, did just that, and so he was my next-door neighbor on the other side. And then uh, when Jack White moved to Nashville with his supermodel wife, they saw it respite from the rain right in front of my art studio. And it's just like some amazing things that happen from being there. And so this book is a culmination of two neighbors, Tim McGraw and John Meacham, that, that live next door to each other in Nashville and decided, Tim actually approached him and said, we should do a book about songs of america and so that's how it came to pass so uh, for anyone who finds that notion implausible i'm here to attest yes in fact if you are a nashvilleian you will have encountered such as these and creative things will happen just like this from a simple conversation and just to confirm you have not been recruited by the board of tourism from nashville this is from the heart <laughs> yeah absolutely that's true yeah and then uh, another thing that i thought was fascinating because uh you know i would find a task such as this as insurmountable. One of my favorite issues of the AB Journal that I was happy to be a part of was the May 2016 edition of, of the journal where we talked about the Beatles. And just trying to depict their catalog, we found very difficult. And I had to make the appeal for more pages and, 
you know, more artful design, and we enlisted people all over the world to help illustrate it. And uh, so I can only imagine doing over 200 years of history of music and trying to include everyone's voice. And that's what they accomplished. But what I thought was neat was at the beginning of the book, much like a YouTuber might, they said, comment down below if you find any fallacies with our research or anything like that. And so instead of like going step by step to the book, I thought I'd mention some things that maybe they can add addendums uh, in order to include, you know, for posterity. <laughs> I love that. Great. Well, um, so one thing that I found fascinating is they start pre-revolutionary days and um, it, just the vocabulary from that time. You know, if, you know, we're about to enter into uh, an election in, in another year and one of the compliments that's often paid, especially to people in the Grand Ole Party, is they speak plainly. And I think that we've adopted the vernacular probably too often in conversation. And when you go back and read the quotes of Washington and Jefferson and Adams, just the nobility rings true in their words and their phrasing and it's such consideration for how they spoke. And so the book immediately takes an endearing tone uh, because of that. So, you know, I, it's easy to fall in love with a book because of those things. And uh, But then we, we quickly uh, jump ahead, like quite a lot, from Revolutionary Time to the War of 1812. And then um, we start skipping around um, a lot. And, I, and so I went back and I read um, the foreword and then uh, in, any of the appendixes. And it turns out that a lot of the basis of the book is on Meacham's previous work. He, he's done a lot of uh, biographies on Jefferson, on Jackson, on George H.W. Bush, on, uh, I believe, Obama, uh, and maybe even Ronald Reagan. But those last two I, I could be wrong about. But they're quoted extensively. Um, and so they're really hinged upon those presidencies. And then in between, there's, you know, you get to hear from uh, the women's suffrage movement and, um, you know, the abolitioners and, uh, you know, doing away with Jim Crow and all the music that came about during that time. Um, so that that's really the extent of the book. But I, I noticed some oversights, like uh, the War of 1812 brought about our current national anthem, uh, which is fascinating. But then, like, later in the book, he mentions the uh, number one hit in 1966 was the um, Green Beret. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wish he had also brought up the number one song in 1959, since he quotes Jackson fairly often, um, the Battle of New Orleans would have been an excellent tie-in and, and worthy of inclusion given the logistics of his other selections. And then also, additionally from that era, uh, he kind of ends with FDR's death and, um, and then starts up again uh, in the 60s. And I was like, what about all that time of prosperity? Oh, and in the 50s? Like, that was a tremendously fertile time for in American music. Right. And so there's a a uh, point at which in the late 70s, where he sort of reverts back to the 50s based upon uh, the time of Ellis's death, it's sort of justified. Um, but I'm like, man, we should have gone back there and dealt with this then instead of ruminating over his death, like just talking about, you know, the 13 years hence after 1945. And one instance where it would have been really handy because he also quotes Reagan extensively is... Um, uh, president Truman, as vice president, uh, he played famously played piano with Lauren Bacall in 1945, and again in 1948 when when he ran for president the second time. And um, Ronald Reagan was with him, and he was a Democrat then, and that's stressed in the book. 
So there's like two photo ops that would have been nice to include and just demonstrate continuity from one era to another. And I just kind of secretly wish those were included. And a little bit of an Easter egg for a previous Modern Law Library podcast. Uh, we talked to Brennan and, and my coworker, uh, Victor Lee, wrote a book about Nixon. And this is something I didn't know about Nixon. Nixon was a very talented piano player. That's correct. That's right. And that that is briefly mentioned in the book, but it would have been nice to expand upon that. Yes. Yeah, amazing. So what's the next book that you've brought in to talk about? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it, <laughs> if because only that uh, the ABA Journal is is uh, is quoted in it, first page. And so uh, I, I had to bring that up. So some of you may recall from a book review I did a couple of years ago now called Beach Lawyer, I believe I said it was a, let's see, there are still books being written that you cannot put down. Beach Lawyer is just that kind of read. And so I'm quoted on the very first page uh, of this the sequel, The Boardwalk Trust by author Avery Duff. And uh, so I, I had to give a nod to that. It was really cool, to, to uh, personal discovery. And then on page 54, uh, the ABA itself is mentioned uh, as uh, they actually, it's the uh, antagonist who has a, um, has an extensive experience with the ABA, and that the sort of uh, is is used as as um, solid background material for their uh, oh, legal reasoning. And so, uh, yeah, I found that fascinating. We're used as uh, a foil a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, so I will say that the the first book, you know, it, it, it's always probably most likely going to be the one you like most. And I think in this instance, uh, that's still the case. Uh, however, it's Still a, a decent read, and um, what what happened was he crafted these characters so carefully in in the first book, and perhaps unknowingly uh, painted himself in a bit of a corner with the uh, restrictions around their career paths and and everything like that. And so he, he created new challenges, more limited ones, in in this particular storytelling. And I think you know he pulled it off fairly well, um, but. You know, if you're following the series, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. But I had to bring it up because of the mention. So the Boardwalk Trust by Avery Duff. So is the the Beach Lawyer, which is the first book, uh, is he still on the beach in in the Boardwalk Trust? Is this is he like a private detective or an attorney? What is who's the main character in in Boardwalk Trust? Oh yeah, his name is uh, Robert Worth, and uh, he's known as the Beach Lawyer after winning a insurmountable case against his own firm. And uh, it, it takes place in California on Venice Beach. And um, there's uh, in the first book, there's a really apt description of just what the beach is like now. And he still brings that across in this book, too, in the beginning. And um, I mentioned this initially with my review of the first book. And I believe another guest today is going to come on. Her name is Sarah Wadford. And uh, She's our senior designer, and she also read this book, and she had the same revelation I did in that it reminds us both a lot of the Travis McGee series with um, The Busted Flush, and uh, I'm, I'm blanking on, on the title, but uh, anyway, it, it's very similar in that scope. And so if you like those, and this is kind of like a new, new way of reading uh, without revisiting uh, that uh, vast body of work. Okay, so if you are dreaming of a warm weather in, in what for us is going to be a very cold season, sounds to me like the Beach Lawyer and the Boardwalk Trust might be something to pick up. 
Well, Brennan, thank you so much for appearing on this episode of the Modern Law Library. I'm going to take us out with my last recommendation. And this is definitely a book that I would take on a plane. You've got uh, post-World War II escaped Nazis. You have family relations. You have an embittered British journalist and a woman who was one of the Russian night witches who flew planes into German territory to drop bombs during World War II. So a lot of elements there, and it's called The Huntress by Kate Quinn. And that, to me, is a book that I would recommend someone taking on an airplane. It opens, uh, I believe, with the woman who becomes the person who's being hunted, committing some pretty atrocious acts, and then sort of disappearing in the mist. And when we come to the next chapter, we're talking about a widower and his young daughter, and he meets a woman who he brings into the family. And so that's a through line in the book. And you have, an, like I said, an embittered British journalist who is searching for this woman partially to avenge his brother who, who died, and a woman who... Uh, was one of the Soviet pilots who helped them defeat the Nazis in battle. And can't can't say enough about it. It's Is it realistic? Maybe not. Can you put it down? Oh, well, I sure couldn't. And that's The Huntress by Kate Quinn. So we hope that all of my listeners enjoy these holidays, read tons of books, and start 2020, the new decade, outright. If there are books you think that we should read ourselves or that other listeners of the Modern Law Library might enjoy, I would love to hear about it. There may be a way that we can put together a reading list for all the listeners of the Modern Law Library. If you have some suggestions for that list, please reach out to me. My email address is lee period r-a-w-l-e-s at americanbar.org. That's lee period rawls at AmericanBar.org. And if you enjoyed us this year, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening service.